All right, if you are here, you are listening to an episode of Sky King's Mental Playground, Polkadot Web 3, and NFT Edition. So I've been running a podcast for a little over a year. We launched the first ever long-form podcast, NFT, with Bruno, who is episode one on this side of the world. And the entire time, it's been an experiment on the business model of media. We are launching now because I am looking for a technical co-founder. And so I'm going to be putting out all of the episodes that we have focused on around Polkadot, around Kusama, around NFTs, and around Web3 onto this channel, which is free. The other ones were behind a paywall because I do believe media should be paid for. But this is going to be an opportunity to connect, get more audience members, you know, just decrease the friction to listen. If you want to hear the other episodes, we've had some amazing guests, everybody from, you know, Professor Robin Hansen, Chris Williamson, um, a bunch of solo casts, Q&As, stuff like that. You can go to skmp.supercast.com. But, and without further ado, if you would like to build a company, one that is focused on changing the business model of media, one that leverages the power of Web3, but has a UX and experience that feels very native and easy to use. I have a vision for something I am calling Stoa, and I need your help to build it. So I'm going to drop a link like right in the description. If you're interested or anybody you know who you think would be a good fit, even just to have a conversation and to learn more, you can hit that link, fill out the form, and we will be in touch Welcome to this episode of Sky King's Mental Playground. Stability. Don't take yourself too seriously. We stand Sky on Sky King's Mental Playground. The only loss Breathe. in life is not realizing potential. Build the world you want to see. Yeah. Sky King's Mental Playground. Had a great podcast with Agile, co-founder of Talisman, which is trying to become the wallet for the Paraverse, tackling a lot of really creative problems. Um. And it's honestly, he was an epic person to talk to. We had an absolute blast. Uh, I personally use Talisman. Um, the UX is fantastic, especially compared to what is normal in the Polkadot ecosystem. So I can't recommend it enough. And um, they are coming up on their alpha launch soon. And in order to participate in the alpha launch, as well as, you know, myriad benefits down the line, you must hold a spirit key. As we talk about in the podcast, uh, Agile does a a great job going into a lot of the lore and myth that we can use to leverage community. But for Sky King Mental Playground subscribers, uh, we have a little giveaway. So we have two spirit keys that I'll be giving to two of the listeners. In order to qualify this, you must be a subscriber to Sky King's Mental Playground. So as long as you have a Yanmi Park subscription or above, you are eligible for entry. Uh, If you bring a friend in and convince a friend to subscribe, I will give you, we'll basically do a random number generator where I'll have a list of all the people who subscribe and we'll just do a random number generator for selection. So if you bring a friend in and share that email with me, then you you can you can share that by emailing sky at modernstoa.co. 
Again, that's SKY at modernstoa.co. Then I will give you an extra five slots. So let's say that your name was Agile. Instead of just having Agile in there once, let's say he brings in his homie Slow, and then he gets himself one plus five. So he'll get six slots in the random number generator. Dope. Without further ado, uh, super excited for this podcast. You guys should really check out Talisman. Um, I believe their site is talisman.xyz, T-A-L-I-S-M-A-N.xyz. And on Twitter, it's we are Talisman. So you can find them there. Agile is still Agile, uh, S-T-I-L-L-A-G-Y-L-E on Twitter. Uh, he's a great follow, really thoughtful dude. You're going to enjoy this conversation. I had a blast. Peace. Let's talk about Summer Heights High. So oh. the <laughs> I remember watching like specifically Summer Heights High and the character of Jonah and thinking like, could Jonah happen again today? <laughs> I think, uh, yeah, absolutely. Like um, all the, I, I really like these shows. I was, I was sort of saying just before we were recording, like I like these shows which take characters um and it's mostly just bagging on lower class people, but you re- like alt- it's, it's an absurd representation of, of them. But ultimately, you empathize with them. These are a lot. This, I don't know if these are as big as I like outside of Australia as they are in Australia. But you've got like lots of them. You know, you've got like um, yeah, Summer High Tie and and Houseos, and there's a, like a lot of um, really you know. Uh, grotesque animations. I don't know if you've ever seen Siggy Butt Brain is this amazing Aussie animation yeah. about like some, you know, like really gross druggies at, at the train station trying to borrow lighters and stuff like that. But um, he's simultaneously like sort of bagging on these lower class people, but also like all, all these shows, especially Chris Lilly's shows, like Summer Heights High, really, really empathize with these really ridiculous, unstable characters. And it just makes us all realize how, insane we all are and how we're no, we're no different um it's a shame that like people you know are canceling him for you know doing all these characters which you're sort of politically not allowed to do yeah, yeah it is a bummer because like, i think one of the things that when you when you exaggerate a character it kind of allows people to see that within themselves you know when you like bring that out mm. to the nth degree they can be like ah oh, now i recognize i have a little bit of that in me no matter who you are <laughs> yeah, yeah definitely like um, obviously people get tripped up on, I think, um, you know, Chris Lilly pretending to be people of different races and stuff like <laughs> or that. Sexes. But like, <laughs> yeah, but like, oh, it's like Mr. G, the narcissistic yes. drama teacher, you know, like, uh, Jamae, the, the, the private school girl, that's like the popular girl, like all of these characters, like they resonate because we've all actually experienced these people like in real life. And, um, uh, so it's definitely art imitating life. And if you, if you, if you cancel it, I don't know. Yeah, it's good. It's good to, it's good for us all to be taken down a peg and not take ourselves too seriously. I think. Without a doubt. There's a, uh, Van Wilder quote. I don't know if you are familiar with that movie. It was like this American filming National Lampoon, I think, but it says mm-hmm. like, don't take life too seriously. You'll never get out alive. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> I've historically, true. yeah, it's so true, right? Like we're all in the same place and I've historically taken myself like, way too seriously at times and mm. yeah we all end up dead anyway so 
yeah, I agree. I think um, I think if we can, most of our, you know, um, most of our behavior, I believe, is like our ourselves trying to like spiritually grapple with the fact that we're going to die, like trying to have control over things that are like ultimately pointless to have control over. Um, but yeah, you know, I actually I say this a lot to um, my so I've been doing startups for a while and my housemate just started her own business. And so it's interesting, like giving all of the advice and, um, you know, sort of being the, the sort of the startup therapist having done it before. But um, I think in order to do like, like startups, what I've found is you, one, you, you need to entangle your sense of self with what you're doing. So you need to care about it so much but also if you do that, if that's all you do, you'll just be miserable. And so you also need to be able to accept that it's ultimately pointless, you know, like as well, like you need to have these completely contradictory mindsets. I couldn't function if I didn't, you know, um, I mean, I'm a godless ape, so like I don't have, I'm not, I'm not religious. So, um, you know, uh, but I, 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 I wouldn't be able to function if I, if I couldn't like find some, sense of relief or peace in the idea that I'm just going to die. <laughs> and so it's, I should, it's, it's all not that big of a deal anyway. For sure. It's, it's really interesting. I think that, so when you look like back to like Greek mythology and stuff, like the gods would always come down to, to earth because it was mm. interesting to see humans playing these finite games. And that's one thing right. I used to, you know, went through the whole like existential angst, like started reading a lot of Camus, all that stuff. And like felt very lost for certain points. And then mm. to realize that like, oh, no matter what happens after this, this is my opportunity to be human, to feel all of the things. So like whatever mm. game I choose to play, I'm going to play to win because that's the option I have right now mm. while not taking it too seriously. But knowing that like this is my potentially only shot at being human. So I might mm. as well feel all of the things, you know, the jealousy, the fear, the anxiety, the love, the lust, the excitement. Like, yeah, definitely. Um, I, I, I uh have you ever read uh, Siddhartha? Oh yeah, Herman Hesse. Yeah yeah, 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 yeah. So like this, the 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 you know that you got to. I guess the ultimate for those who haven't read it, the ultimate point of that book is it follows a follows a an ascetic, uh, a man who becomes an ascetic and then sort of like leaves the leaves the teachings of of whatever sort of school he's in. I can't remember the sort of the particular names for these local sort of groups but he just goes out and lives a full life and he does all this stuff he essentially becomes a a merchant and becomes a like a someone who cares about business and status and money and he becomes a fat miserable you know bastard and then he then he realizes oh that was that was you know a bit senseless um you know then he has a has a child and he goes through this whole life cycle and the ultimate point is that you know you gotta you gotta experience all the things in order to to, to reach enlightenment you can't um you know uh you can't just opt out um uh yeah it's it's an interesting story it's actually hard to convey it's the problem with trying to distill any wisdom in any story is that you actually just have to tell the story um <laughs> uh but um but yeah i agree do all the things have all the experiences um and uh there's yeah death is just transformation it's just another experience Without a doubt, man. All right. So now that we're six minutes into this podcast, do you 
but I want to say, Agile, welcome to the show. Would you mind doing a quick intro of who you are and what you do? Yeah, sure. Um, uh, well, I go by the name Agile on the internet. I'm a, an Australian entrepreneur. I've um, uh, been working in Web3 for the past few years. Um, I originally studied like game design and 3D art. I was really interested in how to create games and immersive experiences. And um, sorry to interrupt, uh, but Gavin Gavin also studied games, yeah. Like that I was think, his background too. Uh, he might have. Like I know a lot of really, <clears throat> really brilliant engineers have studied games, uh, and I think, like in games, like. Um, I always find that you encounter insanely clever people because the the complexity of problems that you face in building things is arbitrary. You know, like you want to build, you know, experience A, it might be simple. You might want to build experience B, it might require technology that doesn't exist yet. Um, but I think he did his PhD in like music visualization or something like that. Or I don't know if it was a PhD, but he studied music visualization. So but um, I don't know. That's pretty pretty esoteric. I wouldn't be surprised if he also sort of did games. A lot of the crypto founders that I know, you know, are like that are really clever are games programmers. Um, so yeah, game, games is cool. <clears throat> I think um, the thing I really like about games is it takes this like human desire to like human intuition to program people. You know, like we're all implicitly status seeking, you know, power hungry, you know, survival and replication machines. And so it makes sense to, to influence others, you know, in the pursuit of our desires and goals. And suddenly it takes your, you know, natural capacity to influence people. And rather than, you know, trying to climb the corporate ladder at a bank, you're just trying to give them joy. You know, it's like, how do I create a game where people experience blitz or how do I create a, a game where people experience ex- like thrill, they're, they're thrilled and excited and then elated, you know, like, um, so it's like manipulation, you know, for, um, for art's sake, uh, and for entertainment, um, which, uh, which is, which is cool because it allows you to, um, sort of apply some really interesting thinking. And I think probably, you know, what you might be able to say, like a morally sandboxed <laughs> like environment. Um, but, uh, yeah, so to, to, to finish introducing myself, uh, so I'm the, the co-founder, um, of a project called Talisman, uh, we're building, uh, a, a multi-chain wallet for Polkadot and the parachains. Um, we started, started this about, you know, nine months ago. Um, I was previously running a, a web three venture studio called FlexDapps, where we helped like a lot of different founders to just go from zero to one, build their initial tech and raise money and launch their product and raise money. Uh, yeah. Raise money, et cetera. Um, so yeah, the, the, the people that were working with me at flex are now my equity co-founders in, uh, in talisman. And it's a really exciting journey. We've gone from being sort of technologists who are helping the emergence of ventures to actually going all in on something ourselves and taking something to market and, um, having to solve all of the problems that we've watched our friends solve. It's a really fun journey. Um, but yeah. Do you feel like being able to be on, and like venture might be the wrong word, like the venture capital side, but being on like kind of like the consulting guidance side, ha- like mm. helped you 
to be where you're at today? Or do you find yourself making all the problems that or making all the, the uh, <clears throat> mistakes that you always like rec- like told people not to. And then you're like, shit, here I am. Um, yeah, definitely. Like one of the first, so flex started out as a, um, as a very amateur services agency, you know, we, we just like myself and my business partner, who's a smart contract engineer, I was, you know, had my background in like game design and multimedia. And I'd also done startups before. So I was like experience as an operator. We had complementary skills and we started working just for ICO companies in 2017 that had, you know, like they just had lots of resources, but they had no experience in what they were doing. And we watched a lot of companies, you know, explode and, and, and burn things down. And I think uh, it's allowed us to, you know, not replicate those things, you know, um, uh, yeah, make, make original mistakes only um, is, is my saying. And I think, um, yeah, we, de- definitely. We've watched a lot of our friends succeed and fail. Um, and I think that's kind of your, your job as a founder is to try and like uh, leverage information asymmetry and do what is not obvious, but is also like viable. Um, and so that requires experimentation. And if you've, you know, if you're exposed to all of these other case studies uh, and examples, um, it's certainly helpful. I think everything is always contextual though. And, you know, case studies aren't everything. Like, you know, if you go to business school and look at a bunch of case studies, it doesn't mean that you know how to start a business. Like you have to kind of learn by doing. I've, I, and I've also like, I think also my experience having done um, uh, Flex, which is the venture studio and the previous businesses, like I have failed a lot you know, prior to this. And so that's pretty, pretty helpful. Do you have, so like I'm in that zero to one phase right now. So do you have any like, and I don't want to like, you know, put you in the spot and say like, these are the seven tenets of (laughs) not to do, but do you have any like core things that come to mind, like principles Mm. that you would recommend I, I live by in this phase? I'm basically in the idea to like, uh, pre seed round phase right now. Hmm. Yeah, I think uh, the number one, the most valuable currency in startups is focus, Um, Mm. especially when we're in a really exciting technology ecosystem like uh, Web3. There's so many things you can do. And I think, um, you you know, there are examples of people who harness that really effectively, you know, like people like uh, Andre Cronge and alike who build things and then build the next thing and build the next thing and build the next thing. And they build a cult following. And, um, and I guess the, what you might call the sort of Ponzi nomics of crypto allows them to create a lot of wealth along the way. Um, but they have the benefit of being able to create a smart contract, which is going to keep operating after they're done. Right. Um, whereas if your business is something that, uh, you know, it's liveness is dependent on, on you or people, um, you know, you got to, you have to try and find what works and, and, and then find an opportunity that is, is, is really good and then exploit that opportunity. Um, you know, creatively, you might want to try lots of different things and you're in create this sort of creative industry. So you can, within the context of the content you can create, you can have a lot of creative freedom, but you want to, yeah, try and focus as much as you can. Um, like that's, it's, it's really the hardest thing. Like if you have the resources and the time you want to 
pursue lots of different ideas, um, you know, but sometimes the, you know, the, the, the tenth iteration, like if you, if you take something that works and then you iterate on it again and again and again, you can make it really, really valuable. The other thing is like in, in order to find what works, you have to do experiments. Like at Flex, we did far more things that failed than things that were successful. And um, we had a lot of really interesting successes. And, and the really amazing thing about, you know, doing businesses is that you have like in technology is you have these nonlinear returns. So when something works, it really works. And, you know, it pays for the past 10 experiments that didn't work. So I think, um, yeah, if focus, try to, try to, try to ship stuff as fast as you can, like, um, you know, 80, 20 things. Um, and, and if you haven't yet figured out what actually works, like just do, do many experiments and try to define them clearly. Right. So it's like, what are your actual assumptions and try to test those assumptions. Um, but, um, but, uh, yeah, just follow your nose, man. I think, um, I don't think there's, there's a, I don't think there's like a universal rule to these things, you know, maybe like Naval has some really good principles, like do things, you know, do things, fail publicly, be accountable, you know, then if you're the success that you, you, you end up finding you like you, it all vests with you be original. That's another, like, you know, like avoid competition by being original. I think that's a really good one. Um, you know, the wisdom of Silicon Valley would say just, yeah, iterate and do lots of experiments. Um, and the number of iterations that you do is the best predictor of your ultimate success. Um, uh, but, um, yeah, I think that's kind of self-evident in, in, um, you look at the unit economics of most VC funds and they fund, you know, they're, they're looking for things that will go 1000 X or die trying and 90, 95% of their investments fail and a small portion of their investments make all the money. So that's like a, you can see it's sort of written in the, in, in the, in the, in the unit economics there, like what actually works in Silicon Valley. But, um, but yeah, no one can tell you what path to walk as well. You kind of have to, you have to integrate your own sense of self with what you're doing and you have to be able to believe the stories you tell. Um, otherwise you'll just go mad. So, um, yeah, maybe just follow your heart is the, maybe like the, like we should look to the wizard of Oz for startup advice. Um, (laughs) I do, I do think there's, there's a lot of, uh, and I think we'll we'll get into this a bit, but there's a lot of value in myth and in story, Mm. um, and in allegory, but, Mm. uh, yeah, man. Okay. Yeah. Um, I, I think, uh, I think that's a good segue. Like, um, like I said before, that you have to believe your own story, right? And I think if you're, the more you, like startups are a, a gateway to this, right? Because you have to question what you believe and you have to question things. And you also have to question what people tell you. You have to learn about, you have to learn about people and incentives and like you have to try and understand how the world works. And if you actually study things like economics and psychology it can, it can make you very pessimistic, you know, about how, about reality, you know, you can, for sure, you can sort of wean yourself onto this like physicalist worldview, which can be quite nihilistic. Um, 
And I think you need mythology to balance that out. Otherwise, you'll you'll just turn into like a psycho Fortune 500 CEO, you know. Um, and uh, yeah, mythology is important. Like, I'm a big student of um, of Jordan Peterson, who would sort of say that you know there exists a kind of pragmatic truth, you know, like. Um, you know, a man should take responsibility for his community and family. And that's not scientifically true, you know, but like that is, that's pragmatically true. Like to believe that that is true is useful. And, a, and, a, and the stories that we tell, the mythology that we have, they're tools. And some of them are better than others, um, like on certain measures, you know, like maybe they're more viral or they help us survive you know, difficult circumstances, but, um, yeah, man, I'm, I'm obsessed with mythology and, and archetypes and, and lots of things of that nature. Are you a Jungian fan at all? Like Carl Jung? Yeah. Well, I've, I've, I've tried reading, I've tried reading Jung and I find, I find that I find it really hard to read anything that's not fiction. Like I find mostly, I get my knowledge from like YouTube videos and speaking with experts and, and listening. And I only really read to wind down to kind of like, Mm. you know, get space from my thoughts. Um, And so I I like reading stories, but I've, but I've like, Peterson is a really big Jungian and I've listened to most of his lectures um, online and um, especially his Maps of Meaning course, which is just yeah. his University of Toronto sort of psychology course. Um, and, uh, yeah, but I started reading uh, in, in an attempt to engage with Jung that was sort of, um, you know, easier for me. I started reading uh, – he's got like an autobiography. Um, mm. And, uh, yeah, it's really interesting him sort of recounting – you know, uh, different dreams that he had and like sort of making an analysis of these dreams and saying, oh, I dreamt about this object or this archetype and there's no way I could have ever seen that before because I was seven years old and I'd only ever seen this or that. Um, I definitely, I think it's a pretty reasonable claim that, you know, also one of the claims of Jung is that, you know, there are um, these archetypes, these images that exist sort of baked into our mind, you know, they're like baked into our biology even. Um, and uh, and the, these are the, these sort of basic archetypes from which our culture emerges, you know, from where we get um, ideas about men and women and God and, and, and things like that and, uh, and good and evil. And I think that's pretty reasonable. Like, um, yeah, I don't know. Have you ever read um, Snow Crash? I've never read Snow Crash. It's it's on my list. I'm a huge science fiction fan. Um, I know that I should. Well, on this topic of like Jungian archetypes, like Snow Crash, um, essentially there's this notion of, um, I think it's called like the Nam Shub or something like that. Basically the villain in Snow Crash, um, he's, a, he's like a, this like billionaire who owns the infrastructure, like the telecommunications infrastructure for the internet. And, um, and he, he's obsessed with like figuring out how to program people. So basically there exists this like ancient language, um, you know, through which you can invoke, it's like root access to people's brains. And it's like something that has been lost to time that once upon a time was known to the Sumerians. And, uh, and he wants to like, 
use like 21st century uh or it's, it's even it's it's sci-fi so i don't know i can't remember what year it's like supposed to be set in but futuristic you know communications technology plus harnessing this like ancient religious knowledge about how people's brains work to program everyone um i can't remember what his motivations are like why he wants to do it but um but yeah that's that's a really funny example of like a of of somebody like a like a jungian supervillain um it's quite funny uh, that's Neil Stevenson, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think it's wild how he started working for startups and like was working at like Blue Origin and like all these crazy space startups. Mm. I, I, was, like, I wasn't aware of that. Yeah, so he worked for he helped. He was one of the people who convinced Bezos to start a start Blue Origin, start a space company, mm. and then he would like like he his role was literally like let's envision what we could do. And one of his ideas was like, why don't we use like a bull whip? to throw rockets into space. So I guess a bullwhip, that crack that you hear, I don't know if mm. they have bullwhips in Australia, but in Texas, it's a big thing, which is where mm. I'm at. Um, that's actually breaking the sound barrier. That's what that snap is, mm. which I always thought that was just it hitting itself, but that's mm. actually what the sound is. So it's like, yeah, yeah it's we a can, shockwave, and I guess in one of his books, um, they use that as an idea. And then Blue Origin actually studied like the reality of making that happen. And he's worked right. for like a ton of different startups. I forget where he's at now, but it was like, deep AI, like deep, deep mind, like AI based stuff. And yeah, it's just someone to like be the futurist there. Yeah. I think writing sci-fi is like, uh, is, is useful for figuring out what the future is. Like it allows us to like take things that we know, like take known things. Like we have computers and microprocessors and we have capitalism and like, so, you know, um, Snow Crash is this like hyper capitalist future where people live like where people have it's, it's set in like in America where things are very extreme and you know they still have constitutional rights but there's crazy technology you know that is like even more crazy than sort of being able to buy AR15s at Walmart um and they have they've had hyperinflation and so US dollars are pretty worthless and they have uh you know, people live in the metaverse and it, it's, Wait, are it's, you just watching the news or what are you talking about exactly? <laughs> well, this is, it's funny. Like it's like <laughs> this, like they're taking these, like it's a reasonable prediction of a, of a, like a hypothetical future. And you just take these things that are known, like we have microprocessors and computers and we have capitalism. Like what's the logical conclusion to that? You know, like what is actually true about these systems and how do they work? And then we get to explore the, the moral problems that emerge. Um, I think that's really, that's really useful. And for, I mean, for companies that are trying to do completely crazy stuff, like go to space, like it makes sense to, you know, to try and tell a story about what you want the future to be and sort of work backwards. Um, you know, sci-fi writer might be able to help a lot with that. I don't know. I, uh, before I forget, I did want to bring up when you're talking about Jordan Peterson, you're talking about, like mm. emergent truths or something being pragmatically true. Did you yeah. ever listen to that podcast with him and Sam Harris where they just like argue over that concept over and over again? Sam just <laughs> couldn't get over the fact like, no, what's true is true because it's true. And it's like, no, 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 but things are useful. And it reminds me of this, yeah. like, uh, I, I've heard Vitalik say, it. I don't know if he originated the quote, but like, um, like all models are wrong, but some are useful. Mm. Yeah, well, I don't, I, I'm, I'm on the Peterson side of that argument. Like, I don't think rationality is enough. Um, I think that, um, like, you, you need some, like, you need 
I, I actually believe I've, um, I, I engage with like Sam's, uh, sort of reasoning about why humans, you know, uh, technically speaking, don't have free will. Um, which is actually really interesting. If you use his waking up app, there's a, there's, he has this sort of session area called lessons or teachings where you can learn. He's got this stuff about free will. And if you listen to it and you go through, he, he sort of goes through this, almost this meditation of like explaining to you, do these exercises, you know, and, and observe your own experience of the world. And he shows that you that you don't get to choose what thoughts you think and, and that sort of you're just happening, you know, um, and it can make you a bit woozy, you know, like to experience that, to know that knowledge. Yeah. Um, but uh, but I don't think rationality is is enough. Like I I I think that you know um, the the world it depends on like economic incentives and resources and energy management dictates what is rational. Um, and you know if you want. Uh, if you want to eradicate suffering, you like whatever your goal is, you can take it too far. You know, like if, if like there's a logical conclusion that's terrible, you know, like if you wanted to make everyone safe and, and never experience any suffering, the matrix, like locking people up into these, like into these, put, putting them in these buckets of, you know, uh, of fluid and plugging them into some computer program. So they never actually have to experience the world. Uh, that's that makes sense. It makes sense to do that if you want them to never have to suffer and and never have to you know uh, and always be safe. And so certain like I, I don't I don't think you can make rational statements about what's good. Like we, well, nobody can agree. Maybe you could use democracy or a system of agreeing in order to land on a shared consensus about what the goal is. But rationality is useful to in order to determine you know how to accomplish things not necessarily what to accomplish um i think that sam picks out a lot of like really like he has like this sort of straw man argument which is like oh well do we, like having less malaria you know that's obviously good you know like we can reason that that's good um and uh but again like you an- analyze that it's like why is that good well less suffering less death it's like well what if we're faced with a resource management problem where there's, you know, we can't like the, we, we need to limit the amount of humans. I just don't think rationality is, is um, <laughs> like you, you can use rationality to, in, to enhance your ability to survive, but that offers no guarantee as to what the quality or kind of existence you'll have is. And I think Peterson, Peterson's idea of pragmatic truth is useful and, and he provides a useful sort of um, framework for understanding the success of Christianity and why there's and, and how to extract useful pragmatic knowledge from religious teaching, uh, and also sort of links, sort of helps make this link between religious teaching and and its, its emergence in terms of evolution, and so why it's actually like a function of our evolution. So if you're a you know a militant atheist that you can actually engage with it. But um, I, act- I actually haven't watched uh, Peterson and um, and uh, Sam's debates specifically, so I should engage with those. But, yeah, I, I was aware that they don't agree, and that's the <laughs> it's on that axiom. Yeah, I think I think you hit it on the head, and it's funny. Uh, you, were, you were going close to 
you're closing in on this one thing that people tend to close in on, especially when you start to look at resource management. You know, Buckminster Fuller talked about it when we only had a billion people. You see all the conspiracy theories. Most billionaires start thinking that because that does become the logical conclusion in a world where we aren't using regenerative systems is, oh, the issue is we have too many people. And like, it's interesting and I don't, we don't need to go down that route necessarily, but it is where everyone goes when they start to look at the, the massive problems that face humanity today. Yeah. Um, yeah definitely. I, so I grew up a, like a, I would say I got, so when I was, I grew up in Hawaii and we had to leave Hawaii because I uh, was kicked out of this private Christian school for re- reading Harry Potter. And I like the teacher one day pulled me out and washed my feet and asked if I accepted Jesus Christ as my Lord and savior. Like, I don't know who was teaching the class, like what was going on. And I was just like, uh, okay. Like this is the most uncomfortable I've ever been. And then basically mm. like there was never like an official expulsion, but they're just like, don't, don't come back to class anymore. And it was just because I was reading Harry Potter, but yeah. that made me an, a hyper aggressive atheist, like militant atheist. I would like, from four, I started reading Sam Harris in seventh grade, started getting like super into all of these like really intense books. And I was like discussing and, or I thought discussing, but really all I was doing was just like destroying my, you know, peers who were seventh graders who were religious because they didn't really, I never had a chance to think about it. Hmm. And, uh, and that was like honestly a very depressing experience. And then when I was a junior in high school, I decided I wasn't going to live that way anymore. And because like I didn't really have an answer, so I just went agnostic. And then Peterson was the first person to be like, really show me like, oh, these stories are just they're 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 guidebooks on how to live mm. and not go insane, mm. like how to live a good life. Yeah, definitely. I think I think the idea that stories are tools is a really important idea because it explains why you can, uh, as someone who doesn't want to, uh, be, I guess, indoctrinated into a church and comply with the, 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 like have to participate in the rituals and accept the authority that comes with being in a church. You can get value out of Christianity and you can also, and it also explains why, you know, within the context of a religion, a religious hierarchy where someone who is the interpreter of, you know, the the mighty space wizard can can be exploitative or they can use that that story as a device to attain power and, you know, fulfill their own selfish monkey desires, right? So like I, I think it's just a really enlightening idea that you know, stories are tools um to, to influence and and it's always good to I think the good thing about crypto and this sort of, um, you know, making everything transparent uh, means that we we get to more clearly engage with the question of like, if someone's telling me a story, like who benefits from that story? Oh, I can just go check. I can just go look at who who in, in whose interests it is for me to believe one thing or another. Um, and because you can't get rid of like, I, I think spiritually speaking, you can't get rid of, you know, the, the, the selfishness of, you know, uh, or like, or, the, or your own bias in the stories that you tell, you know, we're always unconsciously biased towards our own success and survival. Um, but you can have more sincerity in that people have more agency to choose whether they want to accept your frame or not. Um, and so, Dude, I, so you, did, you just said like the, the hot word for me, which is sincerity. So like I got into podcasting, uh, five years ago now. And it was because mm. I found that I felt like it was the only place where there's the most sincerity in media. Mm. And the reason I felt that was because, you know, as I started to dig deeper and deeper and deeper into it is because 
advertising has the least amount of influence in it because it has the high, it's the highest leverage media there is right now where advertisers have to pay the most. There's usually one person running a podcast or at most yeah. like even Rogan has three people on his team. And so mm-hmm. like when they lose a sponsor, um, they say, cool. And they just like get another one. When yeah. like the Washington Post loses their title sponsor, they have to fire 50 people. Yep. Because it, it's such like a low leverage industry. And like yep. right now, one of the one of the things that my company does is we help some of the biggest podcasters in the world monetize their platform. And like our pitch is always we're the moat. So mm. like if a sponsor, let's say they have like and again, uh, my podcast views aren't necessarily my own, but I believe in like their opinion and have views. So like let's say a lot of my clients will have like anti-vaxxers on their podcast and we'll have sponsors come in and be like, I cannot associate with like with this podcast or on that episode. Mm-hmm. And like the moment they say that, like my promise to my sponsors, be like, Hey, you know what? I'll send you the money back. Good to go. Like, let's never talk again. And I'll find you a new one immediately because like, yeah. I do not want that conversation to have to be had with my client or the podcaster. Cause I don't want them to still like start to self censor. And so mm-hmm. like advertising historically, since like, and all of this started for me with this book called The Brass Check by Upton Sinclair, which was written in 1914, which painted a mm. picture of the exact same model that we have in the world today, except for it's just been brought to the nth degree because of the tech overlords who now decide like what is right and what is wrong. And one of my, one of my clients is a doctor. His name's Paul Saladino, a carnivore MD. So he's like a carnivore dude. Uh, mm. But uh, <laughs> for those who don't know, it means he only eats meat. Um, but he was talking about COVID a lot. And he wasn't talking like too aggressively about anything. But it was wild because like his Instagram account got got kicked out, and he wasn't like a ton of anti-vax stuff. It wasn't like something that wasn't it was never super bad. Mm. Um, he was basically just saying like COVID's here to stay. Uh, everyone's mm. going to get it, and Instagram kicked him off. And I thought that was so fascinating, specifically because he's board certified, like could be a practicing doctor, and he would be the person where he would be the one giving the vaccine. So he would tell his patients if that's what he believed not to get it, and that would be completely legal because he is a doctor to do that. Like he is the mm. authority on this specific thing. But Instagram is like, no, you can't say that. Mm. That's and crazy, just like, man. Super, super interesting. I, th- I think, especially in the context of COVID, one of the realities that we have to engage with is that actually like, so, so that's a doctor who has every right to express his opinion and he's like reasonably well-educated um, being kicked off of, Instagram because Instagram is an economic machine and it, you know, and, and the, the message of that particular person is not in alignment with that particular economic machine. But in the context of COVID, one thing that is we have to engage with is like, even now, like healthcare systems at large exist within the context of an economic system. And so um, it's, it's, it's bonkers that we have, you know, um, like we have to realize that, even our healthcare system is never going to do like do a good job of preventative. You know, if the goal, if the highest goal is 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 profit, like um, nobody is going to attempt to you know d- to do healthcare in a preventative way because it makes less money, right? Like it, it's not a matter of like it's not a matter of conspiracy where like no. you know oh the big pharma is going to shut it down maybe they will maybe if something actually got traction they would they would defend themselves against it if it threatened their wallet but it's like nobody bothers to start right it's like yeah. and, and so and so and somehow you know this area of inquiry like some areas of wisdom and knowledge just get sort of paved over like nobody yeah. explores them because there's no profit and then 
you know, and somewhere between that and the opposite end of the spectrum, which is like this alternative idea is is taken to the absurd to the absurd <laughs> level because that allows you to monetize through attention. You know, we actually have all this useful knowledge that's kind of just lost or that we don't apply. Um, you know, it's it's yeah, it's crazy that like for the most part, our healthcare system is not really that good at delivering any like it, it makes the most money from things which you know you have have to have ongoing treatment you know where you have to have you have to buy it's like it's like buying a printer and having to buy the ink cartridges you know you always have to yeah. have to buy the pills or, or top up and so yeah, um, pharmaceuticals and insurance are the first uh the ogs of the subscription model so actually yeah. i used to work uh for a big pharma company like top 10 big pharma company mm. and i did global pricing global branding and it was like a bit out of alignment with my existence but Never met a person there, save maybe one, who was trying to actually like hurt people. Like every single mm. person in my company, their goal is to help people. Mm. They just were helping people within the context of like a very specific thing of what we had at the time. Yeah. And like I do think there's a lot of structural issues, and especially around the monetization and the negative incentives we have there. But it was it was really funny how I will say, like, I again I met like maybe one malicious person in my mm. three years in pharma. But yeah. a lot of people are really easy to close their eyes to other opportunities because their paycheck depends on it. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Like the world is just like, I think it's like um, the, we, we do a lot of like as, as a whole, you know, like a lot of evil exists and also evil is a construct like, right. But like, like everyone's just following their own, um, you know, like trying to make, make something for themselves and trying to look after their own family. Like we all don't actually, we actually don't empathize with, um, with people beyond a certain sort of, you know, like, be, like outside of our tribe, we, we don't really, you know, uh, prioritize others. You know, it's very hard to do. It's like human empathy is actually not built for that because we evolved in these like small groups and all of these systems, like, people criticize them for being incredibly evil, but they're just dumb. Like they're just ignorant yes. systems and, yeah. or, or, or unintelligent systems. They're not, um, they're not evil. They're, yeah, they're, they're, they have a certain set of incentives and, and it's really hard to come up with better ones. Um, and, uh, but, um, but yeah, I think I, I saw a really interesting, this is kind of adjacent, the idea that, you know, empathy doesn't quite scale, but like I care about my tribe and I'm self-aware about that. And, you know, and I don't really care about, like, especially in the context of, you know, COVID and seeing, like, societal breakdown, I realize that I don't share values with my with my local community, and that makes me actually not care about them because I don't, like, I don't have the energy or the capacity to care about them. Um, there was a really interesting thread. There's a um, there's a, a woman named uh, Ayla Girl who is like in the top 0.1% of like OnlyFans content creators. Um, and she's like a data analyst. She does all these really interesting polls on, um, on, on Twitter. Maybe I'm mis miscrediting this to her incorrectly, but I think she did a, a Twitter poll, which was like, you know, if you had to choose between, um, you know, you, you press, you had a button, you had to press one button or the other, and one button killed a random person in a foreign country who you would never see or meet. And the other, um, the other button killed your pet, like killed your family dog, like, which would you choose? And everyone like, like, like 
90 or 80 plus percent of people would just kill the foreign person they never met. Like we don't sure. actually care about each other in a meaningful way um, beyond like the small, beyond our own communities and families. And like, I know that my empathy is not, you know, is not a useful device. This is actually what Sam Harris talks about is that his empathy is not a useful device, you know, in order to do good. And actually like rationality is, is necessary to, to accomplish sort of charity and, um, uh, and philanthropy effectively. But, um, but yeah, it's like, it's no wonder these systems are ignorant and blind. It's like, we don't, we don't care. And that's not, that's not good or bad. That just is. It just is, man. And like, dude, like my dog is right here and I'm, I'm definitely not pressing <laughs> the button to kill him right now for sure. <laughs> Guaranteed, dude. Even though yeah. he's being annoying right now. Um, <laughs> Okay, so one thing, so that that leads me down this like this idea where, <clears throat> okay, so you know the concept that like I don't I don't I can't cite the study exactly, but like some behavioral economists basically like went through and looked and found that like people are way 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 more likely to react out of losing something than mm-hmm. they are um, for gaining something. Like they're yeah. way more afraid of losing something than they are for gaining something. Right. And this is where I think where like how we create morality is something that like the web three gives us the opportunity with a public ledger is instead of having opacity of transparency. And so now you can see like what you're saying earlier, you can see if people have an incentive to do something, mm. but you can also see what people are willing to lose. Mm. And I think that is such, such an important shift, like such mm. a, a massively important shift in, and how we start to approach things. Because right now, like, like we go deep into the monetary system we want to, but most banks are allowed, at least in the United States, to lend out money at a 10 to 1. So like mm-hmm. one-tenth of the money in the United States actually exists than like what's what's being shown in your bank account. Yep. And that creates all of these moral hazards because there's just opacity around the lending process and all this stuff. Mm-hmm. But when we have transparency, you start to see that very, very publicly, this is what this person stands to lose when they go into something like I think it just creates a fundamentally cultural shift in a more like quote unquote moral direction. And then before we go into this, also one thing I do want to say is when we we're talking about good and evil is like I'm a big centralized decentralized system person, and I'm the main reason I'm very kind of like pro decentralization mostly is less to do with like I think that like everyone should be free and do whatever they want, and more that I think that we don't actually know the right system. So I want like like my ideal world is where we have a world with 7 million countries or 7,000 countries with 1 million people in each of them, where it's like, we're trying out everything and those mm. strong, like, and then we allow it to survive. But if mm. we have two economic systems that are exactly the same, mirroring each other, these two global hegemonic powers that are trying to copy mm. each other and become more centralized, more centralized. When the black swan event happens, humanity is fucked. Whereas right. like, I just want to like, I'm very confident that we don't know what the next thing is going to be that's going to destroy us. And so we need to have as many like different things going on as as we can like stomach Mm. to see what works. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I mean, I, um, uh, I, I agree with the idea that we want all of these different worldviews out in the world at scale. So this, so this is like maybe a crazy thing to say, but I, I have found myself actually, being feeling strange and this is this this is like uh me saying this in earnest and this is an uh, an emotional comment rather than a rational one like i've been finding myself really being pro taliban in the sense that like there's now 
Like I'm pro founder. Like people should be able to try making new countries. You know, we have yes, a whole different sure. set of new technologies. I have, and and this is, I have no info, information. I don't, I haven't spent any time researching it about like the 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 crimes or the practices of the Taliban. So first of all, let me put that out there. But before you say that, the the history of the world is is murder and death. Yeah. Like they're just doing yeah. like religious law is stable, you know, like yes. when, when, when Germany descended into like into fucking Hitler's Germany, the, the vision, it was basically like, guys, the system has crashed. Let's revert back to, you know, like our roots, our fundamentalism, you know, it's just like, let's roll back to a previous version. And because of like foreign imposition in the middle East, like Afghanistan is completely cooked and there, and what is sustainable and what is stable is religious law because we're a bunch of apes and we're a bunch of crazy, implicitly violent and greedy and selfish apes. And religious law is stable and it allows a population to thrive and grow. And now the challenge of creating a new economic system, like, and allowing for these more modern ideas that we have, you know, like feminism and like empowering women to participate in the economy, all like, these things, you know, this requires a functioning economic system, you know, uh, where you actually outsource violence to the state, or at least this is how we do it. We outsource violence to the state and we have institutions that like are reasonably stable and we have, we have, you know, investment comes in because it's stable and predictable and then we build stuff. And, uh, and now they have the opportunity to create a new nation but um and a new economic system but in the context of these new technologies that we have available to us we have you know crypto assets and we have mobile phones and telecommunications and all these things i think tragically like what's probably inevitable is a more powerful country just exploits the fact that they're weak and vulnerable and they're like the new they're like a newborn baby you know equivalent to a country you know um in that they're they 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 can't really defend themselves um, and they'll just be colonized by, you know, by Israel or, so, or something like that. Sure, um, sure. But, uh, but yeah, I'm really, I'm very pro making nation states and making new states. I think I'm a big fan of like, of uh, Balaji Srinivasan's like um, sort of pitch for like the network state. I think that, I think yeah. we can, I think that's probably a more likely outcome rather than like freedom fighters of any kind actually manage to build a, a brick and mortar you know, institution that's stable because other ones are just going to come along and assimilate them and, and extract all the resources, you know. But um, but what we can do is in, in sort of the digital world, we can amass a lot of resources and self-organize and we can amass power and then we can actually impose ourselves back on the physical world. And maybe, you know, in the future when the, the, the state's primary role is just to sell security, uh, you know, we can, we can rent that security and we can, yes. you know, uh, we can... Uh, we can basically acquire a state. Um, and I think that's a really interesting idea. Um, but yeah, man, I'm super pro new countries. Like let's, let's try and make them. Um, yeah, I think, I think one of the things that, that is so beautiful of what we, what we can, we can offer today, and especially with like pseudonymity. And I want to like go deep into that, but we made this mm. NFT today. Um, and actually it's something that Balaji has, has spoken about before where it, it was basically like me talking about like the social justice promise of pseudonymity. And it was like this mm. woman in a hijab with a bored ape as her avatar working mm. for an American company. Whereas yeah. like she wouldn't be allowed to work where she was or wouldn't be able to go to school where she was. Mm. But 
like she got to choose what what quote unquote state she actually lived in, like what nation she lived in, mm-hmm. because the internet allows her to actually like it's like a marketplace, right? And you can actually choose where you want to live. And if you want to be in a place that has economic opportunities, but you live in a different place, it doesn't really matter because the jobs are online. So like the borders are just as, is are almost more fictitious than what we can build in the internet. Like yeah. when people say like, oh, NFTs aren't real, it doesn't matter. Like blah blah blah. Like you know, uh, mm. Dot is just monopoly money. One of my friend Dan's his mom always makes fun of him for being like monopoly millionaire, and it's like, what do you think your money is? Like it's it's just it's <laughs> just like it's just a bunch of people believing in a yeah. concept. And I think that like the ability for us to organize and choose through incentives what games that we want to play will end up being like the most transformative thing about blockchain because mm. now and biology talks about this all the time now we can start to access like mm. we we're promised that like with more people there's that like um like you know like the, we can find that indian genius that like biology's 1789 like the guy who loves that number the you know yeah. mathematician who was found in porn and went to went to Cambridge, but now we can actually find every single person who is that and we can help them organize and be in the society they choose to be in yeah. and, and not be limited by geography, which is such a silly, arbitrary idea. Like when, when in the era of the internet, being born should be winning the lottery, not just being born in a Western style country. Right. Yeah, dude, absolutely. Like I, th- I think this idea, the, the the global economy is going to have to really shift because like pa- like the power structures are just going to change like the young people who are intelligent will be able to work for like uh you know foreign companies or implicitly cross border organizations like DAOs and make you know uh you know make a uh, a western or like first world like salary regardless of where they are and you know if um yeah that like whatever particular local jurisdiction they're in has to accommodate that like i think um the the state has to change change its goals and how it balances its books to accommodate the fact that yeah everyone can earn earn or everyone who is intelligent and who is like capable of it can uh can be paid the best money now and no one can like opportunities are not based on geography um, it, it, it's it's going to be it's going to be interesting because I think the the first world nations have the most to lose um, sure, without a doubt, and, and, and they're already um, losing. Yeah, yeah, and this is and it's like I think we'll see a lot more, you know, a, trying to make first world countries great again style, you know, uh, polit- like politician platforms um, where they're like, yeah. you know, I'll make us all rich like back when you know when we were the, when we had the most technology and weapons, uh, but you don't, and what's, you what's, don't what's wild? the best technology anymore. And what's wild is it's going to be like, I think more of the liberal facing people, which is ironic because like looking into the past is an inherently conservative concept. Mm. You know what I mean? Like that's like a very interesting thing. Like they're trying to conserve this concept of what we once had, mm. um, but they're going to be like, it's going, it's, it'll be a very interesting tension in battle like for the, for the future of the world. So like to talk a little bit about organizing people, I loved how, um, I don't know if it was like, like uh, failing in plain sight or having original mistakes or exactly, but I love that you wrote something recently um, about your first way of ordering the discord in the community. 
and how now you're like, hey, we're going to do a version two. Mm. Can you walk through how you originally set up the, like the Sentinel program and then what version two is going to look like within the Discord community? Yeah. Yeah. So for context, um, uh, Talisman being a wallet for the Polkadot ecosystem, you know, we see that as an important, I guess, public good. It's something that needs to um, eventually be handed over to the community um, and uh, like and to sort of in order to not have some of the, the challenges that Ethereum uh, is having uh, now, where you have consensus being this mega corporation that owns all of these central points of failure in the ecosystem. Like blockchain, like blockchain ecosystems are anti-fragile. And as soon as, as soon as that stops serving the ecosystem, as soon as some governments tries to censor Infura or something, you know, we'll see five or six alternatives pop up very quickly because the Ethereum community is very competent and, and wealthy um, and, and well-organized. But um, but yeah, like we, we sort of didn't want to make the same sort of mistake. Um, and, um, so we've, in order to, I guess, practice, uh, you know, uh, self-organizing with the community as well as to socialize ourselves with like the Dotsama community and, um, and sort of make have a bit of a recruitment effort. We created the Sentinels program, which is basically a community organization which uh, aims to do all of the sort of peripheral things that that talisman is going to need we're going to need customer support we're going to need people promoting us and telling our story online we're going to need um you know we're going to need uh uh like uh, to manage treasuries and we're going to need to manage manage funds together so there's all of these things that are not just building the technology that we need to do um and so we basically can I, uh, can I pause you real quick mm-hmm. how 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 did you get that first sentinel like how did you create that first follower that first person who is willing to for yeah. free join the community well i think that communities always begin in terms of uh you know you put signal out into the world and when people when you find people on the internet and they say what you've created really resonates with me you have to organize with those people those are your people you know like i think super fans like like 10 super fans is better than a thousand fans you know and so we had um uh, a person called anel who uh who actually connected with us on reddit um we were sort of putting out some questions or i can't remember they had some good comments and it turned out they were actually in australia as well and uh we started chatting with them and uh, yeah, they were our first sort of community contributor. We said, oh, they, they are actually a really super informed Polkadot ecosystem investor. They, they know um, they were spending, like that made money part-time doing sort of Bitcoin, Bitcoin tutorials, uh, like teaching people how to onboard into Bitcoin. And so, um, and, uh, and was also an English language uh, sort of teacher. So, sort of they're they're a teacher and they had learned all about polka dot and they're still a, a massive like uh, resource when it comes to the nitty-gritty details of polka dot and we just found them on reddit and then we said you know we just made a conscious effort to to bring into our tribe the people that find us you know where you know we put in earnest you know stories and images and information about what who we are and what we're trying to accomplish and the people that find that find you, you got, you got to bring them on the journey. Um, so that was the first one. And then, um, Can I say, sorry, sorry to keep interrupting, but like, yeah, it just like, ahead. um, so like I did my first NFT launch 
like about a month ago and super mm. well, all these people like joined and I realized I had no connection with them and couldn't figure out a way. So the idea you just gave me is I'm going to send them another NFT that gives them like complete access to our discord of mm. just like, thank you for like being an early person so I can start to communicate with them. Like, I think that's like the missing yeah. link between this launch and the second one was doing that, was engaging with the people who literally put their money on the line. Like I believe in this concept. Yeah, you you got to form meaningful relationships with the people that because we're all we're all just happening, you know. It's like this idea of Sam Harris's idea of there not being any free will. We're all our unconscious minds are doing all sorts of important shit. They're these ancient things that are really smart, and we're just making our way through the world. And then when you find someone who you're aligned with, who like you want to accomplish the same goals or you share values with. You got to definitely, go, and in the case of your audience, you got to try and form meaningful relationships with them, and um, and that just compounds. Um, and so, so yeah, we 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 met um, Anel, um, I think James um, met Anel, and then um, then we sort of put out this call to action. So I wrote a big story. Um, I wrote a medium article which basically expressed you know what we were trying to accomplish, and it was sort of you know, purposefully layered with a bit of mysticism because we don't know, we don't know how this is going to turn out. Like, how are we going to take a, a wallet project and make it community owned? That's a new problem that nobody's tackled before. And that, you know, that might be the reason why we fail. Uh, if we fail, um, we don't know how to, uh, we don't know what the best implementation of a wallet looks like for Polkadot. It's a, like, um, Polkadot has, Polkadot's architecture means that the multi-chain user experience is going to be unique and different. And so when we have to uncover that. And so I, I posted this Medium article, which was basically sort of saying, we're seeking the talisman. We describe the talisman as a, this thing, which is going to allow you to navigate the paraverse. It can allow you to interact with all these parachains and allow you to protect your keys. And it's going to empower you to learn and master Web3 concepts. and we don't know. We have to find it. We have to. We have to innovate our way to that, and that's a journey. And um, and we want people to help us and come on that journey. And we ultimately envision handing it over to the community. Um, and so, uh, so yeah. And then and then that resonated with a bunch of people. A lot of people said that that really excited them. And we just we just lent into that. So uh, we created this Sentinels program where we said, you know. We, we needed to bootstrap a community. And I know that people in crypto um, are honestly more skeptical about how they allocate their time than how they allocate their money. So mm. like, especially in a bullish market, you know, it's, it's easy to throw money all over the place and, 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 and make money in most of the things that you invest in. And, um, but in terms of how you allocate your time, like who you help and who you give your, your like time is far more precious than money. People are super skeptical about how to allocate it. So we said, you know, with some of the ca- the capital that we've raised, we're going to create this this Sentinels program wherein we pay people part time. We pay them, you know, for a couple, depending on whether you you value your time in terms of like like a like a first world salary or or less. You know, we're going to pay people part time basically to join in the discord uh, to uh, to figure out how to contribute and to help with some of these peripheral areas. Like, and, and we got people's applications. We sort of judged them based on their sincerity. You know, we sort of said, okay, these people 
actually are already in the .samr ecosystem and they're already contributing and uh and we just and we subsidize their their attention so that they would you know they had the opportunity to actually get to know us and collaborate with us and it's led to these really interesting serendipitous things like we have you know these all these sweet little animations that like have been done by an anonymous member of our community we have um you know we had competitions and and things put together by the community we've had uh someone come out who's a, a user experience researcher uh, help us as well we've had articles written by the community and um and but obviously that doesn't scale so we are for now we are a you know a funded startup and so we we it's not sustainable to just pay people to do whatever they want you know that's kind of like what consensus did and then at some point the you know the generosity uh dried up and it had to be wrangled and turned into a uh into a corporation that actually made money and was sustainable and they went through multiple you know multiple instances of firing you know purging 20% of their workforce um so now we've gotten to know a lot of amazing people in the ecosystem kind of know what they're good at and uh and also you know for now while myself and my team are the essentially the principles of the business and we have the the vision for we have the vision and the responsibility to make the venture sustainable um we've enumerated key areas that people we want people to to contribute to and to be owners of so you know we've d- defined within the sentinels there's yeah uh, there's there's two there's there's three specific teams one of them is kind of open ended it's just about doing more experiments but two specific teams one is paraverse watch which is you know moderating our discord making sure that the community is safe making sure that there's no that we don't have any scammers or fraud making sure that our products you know we provide really good product support um and we're we're learning about what bugs and things need to be fixed in our alpha and beta um then there's what we're calling the signals core which is people basically publishing and telling stories about talisman arranging podcasts like this um so promotion and marketing and and also managing international communities in our discord so like making sure that you know um there's translations for all of our materials there's translations for for all of the software that we create so it's um it's it's multi-language and managing little international communities in our discord and i think all of the the um as we grow i really want to all of the capabilities that you know you would expect a corporation that builds a crypto wallet to eventually build um i think we want to make those little community led organizations where people you know have ultimately have exposure um uh to the project through tokens so i think tokens are amazing because they're this cheap and effective way to create shared ownership amongst really large groups where you know equities are so inefficient they run on paper and lawyers and uh and they're so regulated that it's impossible to accomplish you know anything other than you know corporations with them whereas we can create these much larger more um sort of uh nebulous headless organizations with tokens so yeah yeah like I sometimes have this fear that we're going to like recreate the corporation and end up exactly where we are. And that's where <laughs> I have to always go. Well, that's where I go back to that like principle I was talking about earlier is the, the, the difference between this, like the fundamental dif- difference mm. is opacity and transparency. Yeah. 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 I think we are. I think that's, I think that's a reasonable statement. Like the system works. So like I, 
have had my mind shift, my perspective shifted a little bit. And this has been, I guess, my privilege catching up with me. Um, so I, I'm, I'm a crypto founder with a chip on my shoulder that wants to throw rocks at the government and say, you know, you suck, you can't make me do what, do what you want to do. Um, but like, despite the fact that, you know, I might actually have, I might secretly be harboring, you know, dark thoughts of destruction and revenge on the system. And I want to burn the whole thing down, you know, like actually my girlfriend and my future family is going to depend on the system. And this is the way, you know, monkey Island works is all monkeys depend on other monkeys. You know, we all need each other and that's humanity. And, um, and I think that, you know, Web3 is going to allow us to remake something like the system, which is going to have power structures and it's going to have hierarchies and it's going to have, you know, like it's going to it's going to be like all of the benefits of what you're describing about people from all over the world being able to be recognized for their merits. It's going to result in those people having power and authority because they're more competent and they are more capable of 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 uh, of having that responsibility. and the system is, is going to be more free of nepotism um, because it will be transparent and open and it's going to be fundamentally permissionless. But, but I think that like you can imagine Polkadot and the parachains like eventually being these gigantic mega corporations, you know, you might have, and this is like, I'm, I'm, I think this is a long, long term future success case for Polkadot is that, Smart contracts will be a way that you build and ex- build new systems and innovate and experiment, you know, because they're generalized like tools for like programs. But you, you can inv- imagine that anything, um, any real innovation that takes place in smart contracts is going to be consolidated by parachains and re-implemented, um, you know, as 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 pallets, and then through runtime upgrades, you know, invoked, act, like like enabled and invoked. And this is analogous to how Google is a giant corporation and it grows through mergers and acquisitions. You know, it doesn't innovate anymore. Like it, you know, tells you a lot of good stories about how it's innovating and and how it's, you know, got this wonderful, diverse, you know, friendly workforce. But it's basically just giant corporations, the way they grow, the way the system grows after a certain point is it just assimilates new things. And so like Polkadot is going to, and parachains are fundamentally like, institutional infrastructure that are going to enable innovation and and assimilate things that are valuable and so that we can grow to a larger scale than we've grown before and 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 sort of root out and be more resistant to cancer be more resistant to corruption and you know autoimmune failure um, because we have transparency um, but yeah it's it's dude, the snake just eats its tail forever that's that's my take the Ouroboros is my absolute favorite symbol. I did this project in college called Project Ouroboros, and then we switched it to Project Consume. And it yeah. was like, I basically convinced like uh, eight kids to live in everything they would usually throw away, or six kids mm. to live in everything they would throw away for eight weeks. And it was just to, to like... Li- live in everything they throw away? Yeah, they couldn't keep it out of their dorm room. They had to literally keep everything other than toilet paper they would usually throw away. They'd have to keep it in their dorm room. Yeah. And uh, it was it was fascinating. Um because I wanted to understand consumption a little bit better. And it's like this growth mm. mindset. And what every single person's takeaway ended up being was less about, and this is back to uh, what you're saying about we're not really empathetic to that other person across the country, but we're like empathetic mm. to our community. Like people weren't really thinking about the plastic they used and all this stuff. They all just looked at their waste and they saw like 
well, this is a story about myself. And it actually like was more of like a habit change mechanism than anything else. Hmm. So that was a bit of an aside. Okay, so let's go into yeah. Yeah, dude. spirit keys a bit. So like, I think it's really interesting. <laughs> you know, I haven't seen a wallet before launch NFTs. So like, what is the... What is the hmm. thought? And also, like for people listening, we're going to be giving away two spirit keys to certain listeners. We'll figure out the details of the giveaway, but it could be you. Um, what was why? Why that? Why did you do that? Um, yeah, well, NFT. So NFTs. There's a few reasons. One, I love Remark. Like, I think I think Remark is a really cool standard, and it's I remarkable to, almost. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, uh, it's a. Uh, it is remarkable, and and it's. And I wanted to play with it, um, and I wanted to build an internal capability to be able to uh, do Remark NFTs. Two, like I said, community ownership. How do we accomplish this? We don't know for the most part. Like we are uh, attempting to, through iterations and experiments, and like figure out how to accomplish this without risking the home base. You know, in any one of those experiments, um, and that that means throughout those experiments, there's going to be a lot of uh, are a lot of really amazing community members who are contributing, and we need to keep track of that. Like we need to use uh, this is what's powerful about crypto is your sort of your uh, wallet is effectively a you know um, is is an identity. It, it, you can see all of your on chain behavior says things about you, and so we want to create a, rec- a like a record, an on chain record to keep track of who our community members are because we don't want to take this web two route of like, you know, taking people's data and really trying to understand them by pseudo spying on them. We, we need to maintain relationships in this, in a way that preserves these sort of, uh, these, these values. And so, and that will allow us to reward people later is by, um, in the future, we'll be able to say, okay, if we're going to do an airdrop, we can see that these people, uh, received, these people received spirit keys to participate in our alpha. These people leveraged them. You know, these people have contributed to our community and we can sort of apportion, you know, uh, the, the pie appropriately on a, on a, on a meritocratic basis. Um, and I guess also, well, also we wanted to, um, we just wanted to leverage, you know, scarcity. I think that one thing that helps to create, uh, one thing that helps to create, you know, ripple our story, you know, like project our story into the world is, is, is the, is all of the excitement that happens around scarcity. You know, people, growth hackers have known for a long time that referral programs and, you know, scarcity and giving people early access to stuff is really effective. And so we have, um, we have, we're using these spirit keys as a device to permission access to our products and services. And that allows us to, make them scarce and thus make them valuable because, um, you know, because not everyone has them. And, um, and if you want to, uh, if you want to get in, you have to broker a deal with someone who can get you in. Um, and I think, uh, I think that's uh, like just a really useful tool for any product company. Um, I was actually listening to, uh, there's a guy called Jay who creates YouTube videos. He creates this, uh, YouTube series called, um, uh, Sir, have you heard? Um, and it's like a little dot summer update. And I was I was really excited because we've obviously put all of this 
thought and love into the stories that we tell and how we present things to people in order to try and create the most immersive story and the most immersive adventure for us all to go on. And seeing uh, like his his video where he introduced Talisman, uh, it for the we haven't really taken stock of like how much work we've done. Uh, and then seeing this sort of YouTube creator present it back to present what we have accomplished back to me as a narrative was really exciting. It got me really excited about the project. He's like, you know, have you heard about Talisman? It's this wallet trying to accomplish all these things. They've already proven the concept with their web app. You know, they're about to launch their alpha, but you need a, you need a, a special NFT to get into the alpha. It's called the Spirit Key. And I was like, holy shit, this project sounds so cool. Um, and uh, <laughs> you're like, wait, that's but, me. <laughs> yeah, I was like, fuck yeah. But, uh, but yeah, I think it's like it helps with the narrative and helps to express our personality and it helps to create an on-chain record of who people have, in, have he- who has helped us along this journey. Um, and we're definitely going to do sort of more of that. And I think um, uh, it's also, I, I just think that like using tokens to permission access to things, like giving people property rights, uh, you know, tra- like transferable property rights for participation is, is really cool. Um, Dude, that's, it, whenever I try to explain like NFTs to muggles, I'm just like, <laughs> <laughs> they should, people, no coiners should be called muggles. That's correct. They are muggles. They yeah, are muggles for sure. True. And muggles can have wizards' powers too if they if they so believe in the magic. But yeah, for now they're muggles. Um, the way I explain it, it's just like, oh, it's the property rights of the internet. Like you can now own something, never yeah. existed before. Yeah. And for people yeah. who don't understand that, I go back to just like, hey, most art is fraudulent. At a minimum, that's a billion dollar industry. At a minimum, this is allowing people to verify their art. Yeah. Like, oh, they're like, I don't buy fine art. I'm like, cool, people do. <laughs> yeah. When it, whenever someone hits me with the can't you just save, uh, right click save, you know, argument, it's like, well, the thing is a property right. Like you, you want, like the, you, it's a verifiable property right. And by owning that, you're entitled to all kinds of things that, you know, people might offer you. Uh, and that might be experiences or access to a party or access to a future airdrop. And, and the ability to do that in a way which doesn't require a giant centralized system like Salesforce, where you have to link Facebook and Google and all of this data about people together, you can just issue them a property right, which you can then forget about. And then you can verify that it's legitimate when they come back to you later is super powerful. And um, it's not about JPEGs. It's about, you know, it's about, uh, yeah, having more explicit permissioning um and and verify like verifiability around who's who on the internet um for sure and it's also like who who they are and in in what they they fundamentally believe in because this is i was just in miami last week for like um art basel which then had a ton of nft projects associated with it and it's back to this concept of like this like social justice pseudonymity it's like i could have a lot more in common with a you know like a gay blogger in palestine who is completely anonymous because it's illegal Mm. for that person to be gay and so they make all their money on the internet behind a pseudonym and they can have the same NFT as, as I do. And now we're at a party in Miami together and we have so much in common because we've been, we believed in this concept. Mm. So we have like this, like what is, what is like a state, right? It's a people abiding by shared beliefs. So currently mm. a state is people abiding by shared beliefs with them and the beliefs are usually coerced by a monopoly on violence. Mm. But if it was just that, like you can start to create these micro communities through like, oh, I, Either it's even at a minimum, I really like this art. I like mm. what it looks like. And now you have so much more in common with, you know, all the parties I went to for specific NFT projects that I'm in was sick because all of us were super, let's say the on one party. It's like 
Mm. We're all super into anime, probably. Like, odds are high that we like anime because we were decided, you know, invest X amount of money in this art. And now we have, like, so much more to talk about than any random party I walk into in Austin with, like, most of my friends. Because, like, we are... We are we have shared experiences, but really we've been coerced by geography. And so like, mm. I'm the person in my community who likes podcasts, art, and crypto. Mm. But like when I go to wherever the NFT parties hold and like my NFT gets me into a place, it's like, oh, we all like Japanese art, crypto, and then like whatever the other thing is. And that's where like the interest can be is like, oh, what is the other thing for you? Yeah. Yeah. So I, what's, Go for it. Go for it. My bad. I was, I was just going to say this. There's a really amazing founder, a guy called Jake uh, Udell, who is creating a, a project called MetaLink, which is a like a, a social uh, chat platform for uh, people uh, who are who have certain NFTs. And so, like, literally on the topic of like, oh, we share this interest, and that's verifiable by virtue of us putting our money where our mouth is. You know, now we can we are implicitly you know, members of a, of a social space, um, that exists on MetaLink. Um, and that's really interesting because it's like, oh, you, you can sort of show up and you can see who, who has stake in the things that you have stake in. And, and, and those could be creative, um, creative things like art. Um, I think the use case makes the most sense for art and NFTs and things like that, but it could be anything ultimately. Um, and I think this is where, you know, this is where, the world sorry, is going, sorry, like, sorry to keep interrupting, but it's just the, the 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 reason why the art makes the most use case is because it was the thing that was so poorly monetized in the in the beginning. It was yeah. so poorly like mismanaged, and that's yeah. why it's like, oh, this is the most obvious one. Sorry to interrupt. Yeah, I think that's a reasonable statement. Like especially like the publisher model, like uh, like doesn't the publisher model doesn't make sense when pu- like publishing is democratized, you know? So yeah. now we have like value internet native value to go along with this like revolution we've had in 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 the changing in in publishing but um uh yeah i think the internet has fundamentally reshaped reorganized power structures and now i can previously i could be friends with or i could form relationships with people who you know shared my values like your example about some you know uh, sort of person in palestine who has to be dishonest about their identity um and uh whereas now not only can I self-organize with people who are like special interests groups or like that are distributed and I don't just have to self-organize with the people in my local like environment. Now I can be co-invested with those people. Like now I can actually impose like influence on the system, which is fundamentally an economic system in a way where, you know, I don't have to, I don't have to, you know, deal with all these middlemen that are going to restrict my ability to, you know, manage resources to things that are regulated, legitimate, you know, whatever the, whatever the justification is, you know, um, you know, it's not, it's not easy for someone in, in Palestine to create a company in, in other jurisdictions, I'm sure. Like, like not like, so, whereas now there's, there's no, there's no limitation on self-organization and, and, uh, and with value involved as well. So we have, yeah, we have uh, massive, it's going to be so disruptive to the state. Um, and I just hope that it is embraced, you know, rather than sort of, uh, like, like, yeah, rather than ending in like, if the state, if ultimately the card that the state knows how to play is the, is the use monopoly on violence card, (laughs) I think, um, it's going to be, it's going to be a, a difficult sort of 
20 years ahead. Um, but uh, For sure. I, I think I think it's like a uh, it's a realistic outcome. And this is one of the weird ways that I'm like super grateful for COVID is I don't think they realize that they actually decreased their power in that outcome by putting so many people online. Like they put crypto and remote work and everything in hyperdrive with all of these measures. And like some could argue like they did it because they thought they're gaining control, but really they've just accentuated their loss for control, mm. increased the desire for people to, if like, if we look, let's just say like the United States goes straight China and just goes, crypto is banned. Mm. Everyone in crypto moves out of the United States. Yeah. yeah any, yeah. everybody with any significant amount of not even like that significant amount of investment. movement, right? Like the, the yes. entrepreneurs who, the people who will be the most successful in this web three revolution, the ones that will have the, that will not be tied down to any one state and they'll have the ability to arbitrage jurisdictions because yep. yeah, like if a jurisdiction tries to clamp down on it, it like it won't, it won't work. Um, it will, it will work to some <laughs> extent, but it just means that the value that is created in web three will not vest with the people that they effectively like, have, like in that jurisdiction if those people can't leave. So it's really imperative that it's embraced. Um, Without a doubt. Tell, tell me more about, I actually have this theory about like if the US was going to go super hard on crypto that Texas would just bail because <laughs> they'd be like, okay, cool. Like crypto is our next oil. So we're going <laughs> to go ahead and just, because uh, like Texas already has that culture where they want to bail. I'm not from here, from Hawaii and California, mm. but like the culture here is like we're our own place. We have our own energy grid. Like yep. we're our own place. So like, it, all it would take was people banning crypto and Texas would put up the flag and be like, move here, crypto people of America and the world. Yeah. Like, we'll give you a Puerto Rico style deal. Let's go. <clears throat> okay. So enough of that. Let's go into a little bit like, so this is going, so you guys are like starting the alpha launch for, um, for holders of the Spirit Coin next Tuesday. So the 14th, I believe. So this is going to be coming out on the 16th. So will people who get it then still have access? Uh, yeah, I think, I believe so. So um, cool. let, me have a, let me have a look at the date. So it, the, the extension should be coming out mid next week. And so if you have, if you have, if you gain a spirit key after the date, you know, that the alpha starts, you can, you, you can then enter. So the way that this will be implemented is that we will, um, we're, we're trying to implement a system called Collabland into um, uh, like integrate Remark with Collabland so that you'll be able to uh, have, we'll be able to have a bot in our Discord server, which moderates the Discord server based on ve- like, ver- like verifying whether someone has a spirit key or not. And so if you have one, it just means that you'll be able to get into the channel in our Discord um, or other spaces that we might set up like a Telegram um, and download our build. And so it'll be quite ad hoc initially because uh, you'll have to, you know, download a zip. You'll have to open it up. You'll have to, you know, enable developer mode on your browser. You'll have to load an extension. Um, and it's going to be some, like some number of weeks before we have a viable version on the extension store. Um, but yeah, if you get a spirit key after the fact. So I think there's about just under 900 unique holders of the spirit key and there's a supply of 3,333. So we're planning to, we still have most of those keys, but once the alpha is out and, you know, we've, the goal of the alpha is ultimately to push the limits of the software. So, so far about 10 or 15 people have used the extension, you know, we're going to go from 
uh, from there to as many of the 900 unique spirit key holders as we can get. Um, so maybe in the realm of like six, 600 to 700 might engage. Um, and then hopefully that will break, that will break our software and we'll make it more robust. Um, and then we'll sort of go from there. So, but if you get a spirit key after the fact, you'll, you'll be able to come and go at any time. Um, the goal is to use the spirit key in an ongoing way as a tool to not only get early access to our, um, to our extension, uh, but also to get early access to features that we might roll out on our web app. Or if you have the extension, like in the future when it's actually on the store, um, you'll, you'll be able to get early access to features within the extension if you have an account with the, with the spirit key. So it's kind of going to be a current, it's going to be the currency of our early adopters and the, and the people who are, you know, want to have the most influence and say over the, the early direction uh, of our product. And I just want to do a quick plug for Talisman. So people who um, are listening to this and are super familiar with uh, Ethereum and Solano and all these other uh, Web3 chains, uh, they're usually using MetaMask. And so the difference between the Polkadot ecosystem and this ecosystem is when you actually go to get a Polkadot.js wallet and you use the extension, like you can't even see the amount of whatever token you're holding in that wallet on it. And so bare minimum, what you guys did is created a beautiful UX to allow people to participate in crowd loans, to see how much they're holding uh, in their wallets and do a lot of stuff that was super necessary for the space. And I know you have a lot more planned, but for people who are are virgins to the .sama area, like this is a, a massive needed thing in the space. And so what are you what are you planning thus far? What can you share about what you're planning thus far with, with the alpha? Um, yeah, sure. So uh, I mean, in the alpha, there's there's a lot of small things that are surprisingly tricky um, to do. So, um, for example, um, the problem, like maybe it helps to kind of frame the problem. You know, a multi like the multi chain ecosystem of of Dotsama is it's many blockchains, and so if you have a, a wallet address and that wallet address can be used across many blockchains, you have balances on all of those blockchains and. Uh, so, and, and as a wallet, we have to do the work of figuring out all of the money you have on all of those blockchains. And so that's quite a tricky problem, um, especially because those blockchains might be implemented differently. Um, you know, some of them might have a very standard way of having a balance. Some one like a privacy focused blockchain that uses special encryption might have a completely different way of doing it. So all, it's like all of the problems that MetaMask solves, you know, are compounded you know, by, by the multi-chain environment. So MetaMask, uh, you know, uh, provides a, an API for people who build web applications to talk to Ethereum. We need to figure out how to provide that uh, to uh, to web application developers. They need to be able to leverage the parachains. We need to be able to get information about you as the user, how much money you've got. And we need to present that to you in a, in a, in a way that's easy for you to understand and, and take action. Um, so, uh, yeah, we also That's a need difficult to be problem because there's like hundreds of chains. Like there's going to be hundreds of chains. Yeah, yeah. So I think th- there's a few problems. One is the RPC problem. So this is like how do we connect to blockchains? Um, at the moment, we use RPC providers, and so MetaMask uses Infura, which is a centralized centralized service, right? So um, you know, 
Uh, we, at the moment, we use, you know, there's public RPCs that anyone can use. But in the future, um, you know, Par- so Parity is doing a lot of really good work. Parity is the, the tech company that is building Polkadot. They uh, are doing really amazing work on uh, light clients. So being able to uh, run a little piece of code in your browser, which connects to the blockchain itself. It does the work to talk to the blockchain and then you sort of, I guess, create uh, create the API that allows our wallet to then do blockchain stuff. And um, uh, so that's one of the problems. Another problem is like chain state and historical information. Like how do we show you your, how do we show you your, your, all of your transaction history? Well, that requires going and looking at all of the past stuff that's happened on the blockchain times the number of blockchains. Like that's just not going to work. So what we have is there's indexing services like um, subquery, um, or subsquid. Uh, the graph is an example of, of, of the major indexer in Ethereum. Um, and these systems are planning to decentralize. Um, so, uh, so yeah, so but, but to sort of get back to what Talisman does for the alpha, it's, it's a couple of simple things that are actually unusually complex. So one, we are, we are not, uh, we are uh, figuring out your balances, which means fig- that's, that's a hard problem. Um, we are actually, uh, broadcasting the transactions that you make ourselves so rather than you rather than signing the transaction giving it to an application to then relay it on your behalf we're doing it ourselves and so in the future when that can be done in a decentralized way through light clients you can trust that you know there's there's never going to be any man in the middle that's going to mess with your transaction uh, or there's never going to be any sort of man in the middle that's censored and then you can't make a transaction um, and uh, so yeah, so showing you your balances, also some basic like like user experience stuff, like allowing you to copy your address in relevant formats. You know, there's a different format for your address on different chains. Um, but sort of in the early next year, we're going to we see the fact that there will be many blockchains as you know a challenge, like a, a challenge of user experience. And so we need to enable the application developers who ultimately know the most about what kind of transaction you're performing. Like we build a wallet. We don't know what every application is going to be. You as a user, you might know what you're trying to do, but you don't know what, you know, how the system under the hood works. The da- the application developer knows the most about what you are there to accomplish when you use an application. And so we're going to sort of enable some customization of the transaction experience by the application developer. So we're going to allow them to specify to us, to, to the wallet, Hey, this is uh, this is minting an NFT. Hey, this is signing a terms of service. This is whatever. And we need to balance that against, you know, still allowing the user to verify that that's legitimate and making sure that that can't be exploited. Uh, but um, but the early next year, we're going to be focused on talking to parachain teams and sort of um, collaborating with them to create user stories. Um, so I just had a community call where Hutch from Zeitgeist jumped on and sort of put his hand up for the same thing. We're going to be working with them to build custom transaction experiences for different dApps because ultimately your wallet is kind of like a browser and it needs to accommodate all of these different kinds of experiences. Um, and uh, we'll look to also integrate things like staking into our web app. So, you know, we want to, we want to kind of make Talisman the no-brainer place for everyone who's learning about Dotsama to just get started, you know. Mm-hmm. So your, your friend says, "Hey, how do I get started with Dot?" I'll just go to Talisman. That's easy. Like, don't need to give them any more information than that. And so, we, we want to be a place where you can show up, you can learn about Dot Sama, you can you can get hold of a consumer product, which is 
you know, empowers you to competently, you know, traverse the paraverse, as we say, and, uh, and get some coins, stake them, do some swaps, like, like do some of these basic actions in a really intuitive and, and uh, coherent manner. I can say that like, so I've only been uh, using Talisman for like three weeks, but it's already been where I automatically send people whenever they're like onboarding into the space, because I just know like people who are like deep in MetaMask. And I know when they pull up that, like once they set up their wallet and they see, they can't see what's in it, I'm just, they're going to freak out. And so I'm always like, okay, so this is what you do to set up a wallet. Then you go to Talisman, connect your wallet. Then you can send money from Kraken or wherever you have it to your wallet. So you know, it gets there. Um, So it's super valuable. Is there anything else that you are excited about or feel is super pressing right now with what you're working on with Talisman? Yeah, I think um, there's, uh, there's, there's two kinds of areas that I think I'm like most excited about. So one is, um, or three, one is this transaction experience idea that I already explained, which is like, how do we improve the transaction experience? Like this is, this is cool because we're doing work, which we're doing work, which is, you know, improving upon the transaction experience of even things like Ethereum. So like where feel like, I feel like we're pushing the needle forward on, on web three as a whole, web three user experience as a whole. And that, you know, um, that gets me excited. Um, we need, what's really important for Talisman is like, you just said the use case of like, Hey, you can get Talisman and then you can get your coins off of an exchange. We need to, we need to innate, like provide users with a better security model. So at the moment, um, you know, this is the articulation of my co-founder Nipsey, but he says, you know, that the, the current security model for web three is like the, the squirrel from ice age holding onto the nut. You know, it's just like, you just <laughs> don't let go no matter what happens, you put your keys, your, your private, your seed phrase under your mattress or whatever you do. And it's like, don't lose that. And we need better systems. So I think like, um, you know, uh, social Friends recovery, my dog. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Break, break in case of emergency. Um, and, um, so, so yeah, we need, uh, we need better models for recovery, whether that's like social recovery or multi-sigs, or we need better systems for risk management. Otherwise, you know, certain, um, regulated institutional actors simply cannot get into the space because they're, it's illegal for them to do so. Um, or it's, it's just untenable. Uh, and, you know, uh, also consumers at large, you know, who aren't as technically literate are going to get burned and they're, and they're, they're going to be sort of like, we need to empower those people with useful tools to protect themselves. Like I fundamentally see crypto as a defensive technology um, for the mass market. Um, You know, rich people have had trust funds and, you know, offshore bank accounts and all these systems and ways to protect their assets from the state for a long time. Uh, Or, um, you know, rich people can afford private security. Like, Like crypto is a defensive tool that allows you to have to be financially empowered and no one in theory should be able to seize those, those assets from you. Um, and, and I think the final one is just the kind of continuing to build up this narrative of the paraverse. I think Polkadot is a really hard to approach concept. Um, and most people don't care about network design. Most people, and this is prevalent in, um, you know, in crypto where you see so much money going into dog coins and projects like Cardano and, and Binance Smart Chain and Solana and all of these things, you know, I think are, uh, like have every right to, to, to be, to be successful. Like every, everyone's attempt, like we should, I'm a big believer in natural selection and all these things should battle it out. 
But ultimately, people don't understand the security risks or like they don't understand the risks they're undertaking when they use a chain. And so often the creators of the blockchains themselves become these figureheads. You know, it's like, oh, you know, the Charles Hoskinson, he did all he did this and that. And and therefore, I've invested in Cardano. It looks pretty good. Or, you know, uh, Vitalik. Vitalik is this super smart, you know, alien from Russia who's like, he's, <laughs> he's you know, I, I, that's why Ethereum is going to be successful. People are just betting on people because they don't really have the ability to verify and form their own opinions. And so, um, one, like, and everyone should try to do that. But not everyone has, like, is sort of understands computer science and is, is trained in these concepts. And so people are going to look to the cultural, people will always use the cultural narrative and the cult and the cultural stories and the images as a shortcut to assess the legitimacy of projects. And I think that um, it's very hard to explain. Polkadot is such a, you know, an advanced blockchain ecosystem technologically. Like it is, it is so, attempting to solve so many of the fundamental problems of the blockchain ecosystem um, of, 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 that previous blockchains have had. Um, and, and so it requires such a robust education in order to really understand why it is a good idea um, and, and let alone then to decide how to get exposure to it. Uh, and so we need you know, more, uh, I guess, approachable and inclusive stories and so what we're trying to do with this narrative of the paraverse and the sort of the illustrations we're creating is we're trying to show, you know, um, express these ideas in an unconscious way. You know, like um, the, the Polkadot ecosystem is um, this nascent ecosystem. It's this coming together all of all of these sort of, you know, network states that are going to plug into each other. You know, when you, you know, if you go on the journey with Talisman, we're very heavily inspired by the artwork of Mobius. And so, you know, all of his work is like these, these like people on the frontier, they're on strange planets, they're out in nature, you know, and they have the access to technology and magic, which empowers them to go and explore. And, you know, how that technology works is, is unknown, but it's, but it, but it, but it sort of works. And, and there's, everyone has their sort of individual sovereignty and there's just these unique tribes and cultures all over the place. And, this is kind of what we're trying to express. Crypto empowers you to do your own thing, to organize with the people that you want to organize with. You know, um, you need to know about what these different networks are and how they're like how they're related to each other. You need to know that Polkadot is this sort of hub and spoke model of blockchains, and you need to know that it's early and it's still taking shape. You know, and all of these things we're trying to express in a narrative so that people understand them without knowing that they understand them. Um, because not everyone actually grocks Polkadot as a network, as a you know, as a set of abstract concepts. No, it's it's a it's a complex thing, and it was it was the thing that drew me to it was I thought that they they thought through the like back to game design, like they thought through the gamification and how we can use systems to incentivize behavior that we want mm. to legitimize projects, like so far out. And I thought that was absolutely fascinating. Mm. I want to be super cognizant of your time. Um, you've been phenomenal. We haven't hit 90% of the topics that I wanted to talk about. So hopefully we can do a round two sometime. I'd love to talk about yeah, the things I'd love to talk to you about are like the role of like DGen moon boys and like <laughs> the, the, the plus minuses of them, yeah. uh, you know, projects just being destroyed and also accelerated by them. I want to talk yeah. a lot more about pseudonymity. Um, I love what you guys are building. Uh, I think quick transition on the way out though is uh, you recently 
retweeted a tweet, um, two narratives, and it was by young Elon, and it was who controls the memes controls the universe. Yeah, I think uh, I think I might have deleted that tweet because nobody engaged with it, and I looked at it. And I, went, <laughs> I, I, went, I went, oh, uh, but um, my value is dead. <laughs> but uh, but yeah, I think I think there is a lot of um, you know a lot of power that comes with being this person, you know, that whether, whether you're the tribe leader and you're wearing feathers on your head and you have the talking stick or whether you are, you know, um, whether you're the, the Twitter influencer or whether you're, you know, the, the, the politician that spins the narrative, like the person who sets the narrative and sets the frame has like is instilled with a lot of power and uh, yeah, and I think that's like stories, like I said, stories are tools. And if you can be the one that uh, that, estab- that empowers people with a story um, that allows them to better understand the world, you know, they'll probably follow you and, uh, and it gives you a lot of power. And, you know, with, with power always comes responsibility. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I think, I think it's true. He who controls the memes controls the, uh, controls the universe people people act in accordance with the stories that they hear you know like political there's a lot of political stories that you believe are true simply because you've heard them so many times but they're just baseless you know like i think the the mainstream media creates a narrative within which you can't actually within which what is true does not even exist you know like nuance doesn't even exist it's not a matter of like there's no time to chat about nuance in a one minute segment it's like the narrative is like is is so self-referential it's like you know hey here's here's some nonsense information and then here's some commentator and then here's some commentator on that commentator and uh i think it's really important that we tell better stories like that's yeah that's our that's what we've that's really what we do as humans is this whole thing just runs on stories um and we got to tell the best ones that we can the ones that are the most empowering I totally agree. And honestly, like if I, if I boil it down and where my personal philosophy comes from is the reason why we've gotten to this place where we can't hear nuance is because nuance doesn't sell more ads. And most of the content we mm. see created, especially in mainstream media, but also with independent creators is just a Trojan horse for ads. Like they're not thinking like, oh, I'm going to have a great piece of content. They're thinking, oh, I have to make content because my advertiser paid for it. Yeah. But uh, <laughs> what, um, where, can, where can people find you? Where can people learn more about Talisman? Where can people get involved? Yeah, definitely. Uh, you can, uh, if you go to talisman.xyz, you'll see so we have a pretty simple, you know, page uh, there. I we'll love have a your better page. I we'll think ha- it's dope. We'll have a very, uh, very nice looking landing page sort of coming very soon. This one's very, very placeholder. But uh, we'll, um, you can, from there, you can join our Discord, um, get involved in the community, <clears throat> tell us what you want to see. Like, we want, I think that, you know, um, like I said, we want the community to influence and shape Talisman uh, and it'd be something that they are ultimately proud of having co-created and, and that they will ultimately be owners of it. And uh, you can find me, uh, I am still agile, S-T-I-L-L-A-G-Y-L-E on Twitter and our Twitter for Talisman is We Are Talisman. Um, awesome. But, uh, thank you for having me, SK. Dude, you're you're a legend, man. That's so funny. Anthony, my godbrother in uh, your region of the world also calls me SK. Um, you're a legend, Agile. Uh, super appreciate it. One thing that's kind of cool about this podcast is odds are a weird amount of people are going to be listening to this on Remark. Mm. For like to this point too. Like 
a lot of people have hit me up saying I listened to the entire hour and a half, two and a half hours, whatever the podcast was on Remarks platform. So that's pretty sick. That's pretty powerful. Um, I don't know, man. Thank you so much. You're an absolute legend. 